Matthew chapter 18. And if you'd stand with me in our tradition, we honor the words of the Lord by standing in his presence when they're read. Is the gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning at the 21st verse? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. May be seated for the preaching of God's word. Father, we come before you because we must. You are the one who has forgiven us. You are the one who gives us all that we need. And as we come into this holiday, I pray that we would remember just who we're dealing with. An almighty God, a merciful God, Holy God, for you are holy, you are merciful, and you are almighty judge. I pray that the words in my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Amen. Today is Yom Kippur, which uh, for some people who are here today, it might come as a shock that uh, when you leave, there will be no cars on the road. The city will be silent. The city will almost completely shut down. That is a very odd thing for a metropolis as large as Jerusalem because when do they do that? 
They're always moving. They're always going. People are always doing something. But today is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What is Yom Kippur? And more importantly, what does it teach us about God and about ourselves? I thought that instead of going through the word studies, which are very interesting to me, but perhaps not to everyone else here, um, I would go through some of the passages that have been read for Yom Kippur for thousands of years to see how other people have viewed what Yom Kippur is. So let's start in the book of Jonah, which is read every year for Yom Kippur. There are many characters in the book of Jonah. Of course, you have the titular uh, character, Jonah, the title of the book. You have God, who is a very important character in the book. You have the people and the king of Nineveh. You even have other characters, such as the geography or the geology, as it turns out. When you read through the book, you will note certain things and certain actions going up, going down, going down, going up, going east, going west, east, west. Um, so yes, there are many characters, but I want to look at the characters by how much they have obeyed God. So let's start with the characters that obeyed God the most. Of course you have Jonah. He is a prophet of God. He is an Israelite, and we are not starting with him. So who do we start with? A big fish. That's who we start with. You see, God appointed, he scheduled a fish, a specific fish, to be at a very specific location at a very specific time. And I can just see this fish, he's swimming towards where he's supposed to go. Oh, wow. God told me I was going to have a tenant today. But it's really stormy up there. It's nice and tranquil down here. Ooh, tuna. Oops, did I forget something? It was a fish that obeyed God. Jonah, a prophet of God. You have the people of Nineveh whose sin was so bad that just like in the book of Genesis, their wickedness came up before the Lord. And if we recognize that story, you will know that God destroyed the world in a flood. And he was going to destroy Nineveh. You have mariners who were so afraid that like every other sailor, there's a saying, there are no atheist sailors when there is a storm. 
because they're terrified. And they are willing to listen to any god, cry out to any god, sacrifice to any god, if it will save them. But it was the fish that obeyed God. You want me to go where? You know the saying isn't a beached hippo, right? You want me to go on the land and spit them out there? Okay. He did what God commanded him to do. And do you know who else obeyed God? Well, you have other flora and even fauna, right? Jo Jonah gets to Nineveh after he calls out in the fish to God for help and briefly repents. He gets there and he calls out to the people and he tells them, repent. And even the animals fast. Even the animals have sackcloth and ashes. Which kind of makes Jonah have a little bit of a temper tantrum because all the rest of the people also fasted and put on sackcloth and ashes. And they repented. And he has a temper tantrum. And so God appointed a plant. Woo! Sky! Yay! Okay, um, ha ha ha, bamboo! Who's the fastest grower now? Wait, wait, is that a worm? Is the worm coming this way? Why is the worm coming this way? Oh, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. The flower fades and the grass withers away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I get it. Yep, fine. God appointed this plant of all things, a plant. He scheduled a time for it to rise up, and it rose up, and it put out its leaves, and it covered Jonah, and God appointed a worm. Am I a little less than a worm? Well, <laughs> turns out maybe we are. God appointed a worm to come up and eat that plant. He scheduled it. At this point in time, at this location, you should eat that plant. And what did it do? Came up at that point, at that place, and ate that plant. And at the end of Jonah, when God has the ability to define what he wants to say, make his final words. This is what he said. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And then the last four words in English, and also many animals. That's the final point he makes. But of course, God does have mercy on the people. Even though they did not obey God. Jonah 
Jonah was called by God to go up to Nineveh. What did he do? He went down to Jaffa. Then he went down into the boat. And then he went down into the bottom of the boat and went to sleep. And then he went down into the ocean. And there just so happened to be a fish there for some reason. Wonder how that happened. And then he went down into the very depth of the ocean, the foundation of the earth. And at the lowest point that he could get, he called out to God, and God heard his voice. And so he did go to Nineveh. He did call out to the people, repent. And then he had his temper tantrum when they did, because he didn't really want them to repent. And the very last thing we have is God talking to Jonah, which I've already quoted, but hey, why not? Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and many animals? Nope, no Jonah chapter 5 telling what Jonah did after that. But there is Jonah chapter 2. See, in Jonah chapter 2, you have a beautiful prayer. Sounds like many of the Psalms. It's very well crafted. It's quite elegant. It's poetic. And in the midst of that poetic prayer, you have what Jonah actually prayed when he was in trouble. And it's not poetic, and it is not long. Two sentences. I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. That's it. That was his prayer. I'm sure he prayed many other things, perhaps, but that's what he recorded. So where does the rest of chapter 2 come from? Well, I believe it comes from after when he returns. You see, it's looking back. And the last thing he says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say... Salvation comes from the Lord. So he did, perhaps, understand when God said, there are 120,000 people there. You cannot have a temper tantrum because they repented. You should be rejoicing. You come to the people of Nineveh who heard the cry to repent. And they did. They repented. And God let them live. And a few decades later, you have a new king come into town. 
Tiglath Pelichah the third. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to be weak like my father was. I'm going to be strong. We're going to be an empire. We're going to conquer the world. Because Yahiria at the time of Jonah wasn't actually all that powerful. I mean, they were strong. Of course they are. They live in a very bountiful part of the world. But his son said, no, I'm not going to be weak like them. He doesn't repent. He doesn't turn to God. In fact, he invades his neighbors. He defeats Babylon. He goes down and conquers the Galilee. And then his son continues the conquest and defeats Israel. And if you will recall, at this moment in time, had Jonah not gone to Nineveh, had they not repented, they wouldn't have been around to conquer Israel. And his grandson would not have been around to conquer all of Judah bar Jerusalem. And eventually they get down to Egypt. And they go in and they conquer Thebes. And after they conquer Thebes, they say, we're strong, we're mighty. We can kill children, we can kill infants, we can take people into captivity, we can enslave whoever we want, we can do whatever we want. And you know what God said? If you don't know, I highly suggest you read the book of Nahum. Nahum. Because God says, Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than any of these other nations that you conquered? Do you think you're better than Thebes? What you did to them will happen to you. And it did. 625, they're defeated. 6.13, Nineveh is destroyed. So let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 18. It's a beautiful chapter. I preached on it two weeks ago for Rosh Hashanah. It's a chapter about forgiveness. It's a chapter about redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness, and confession. You have a lamb that wanders off. And the shepherd goes out after this lamb that was lost. I mean, he has 99 other ones. But he goes after this one lamb that's lost. And he finds it, and he brings it home. And there's rejoicing because he found this one lamb. And then you have a story of people within the church who are sinning one against another. And you go to them and you call out to them and you say, repent, because otherwise we lose communion with one another. Confess, turn back. Join us once more. 
all of the conversations that go back and forth between you and another, between you and witnesses and another, all the conversations that have to come up to the church. They're all for one purpose, to return that which is lost, that which is rotting inside, to communion with God and man. And you come to this final parable in chapter 18, and you think, ah, well, all these are great. Reconciliation, forgiveness. And you have Peter's question, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? Okay, awesome, we're talking about forgiveness. This is great. What's the parable about? There's a king. And he has people who owe him money. And he says, well, it's time for them to pay. Which is his right. They owe them money. And so he called a servant before him. How much money do you owe? more than it is possible to pay. Of course, the servant's like, no, I'll find it, I'll find it, I'll figure out how to pay it back. And the king goes, you can't. So you're going into slavery, your wife is going into slavery, your children are going into slavery, and everything you own goes to me. And the slave cries out and he begs to the king, please, please, and the king says, it's all forgiven. All your debt is forgiven. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And the servant goes out, and he finds a second servant. And this servant owed him quite a lot of money, upwards of half a year, of his salary, if he had a reasonably good salary, so he's a lot of money. And he probably didn't have that good of a salary anyways. And the first servant who is forgiven his debt goes up to the other servant and says, pay me my money right now. I can't. I don't have it. Just wait though. I'll pay it back. I'll do what I can. Yeah, you will but you'll do it from jail, which really makes no economic sense. I mean, how is he going to repay the money from jail? It's one thing to be a slave. You can work for your master, but in jail you can do nothing. So this wasn't the brightest move by this person, just economically, but it also wasn't very smart, both on a spiritual and earthly fashion because everybody else knew what had just happened and they went to the master they went to the king and they said that that servant that you just forgave all that debt he literally went over and started to choke another servant because he could not pay back even this little amount 
So what is the parable about? Because this is how it goes. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. But wait a second. He owed nothing. All the debt was canceled, right? It's gone. I mean, he's going to go in the jail and then he's going to come back out like one second later. So what's the big deal? The debt was placed back on him. That's how harsh it was. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis. I said in a previous chapter that chastity was the most unpopular of the Christian virtues, but I am not sure I am right. I believe the one I have to talk of today is even more unpopular, the Christian rule, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because in Christian morals, thy neighbor equals thy enemy. And so we come up against this terrible duty of forgiving our enemies. Everyone who, everyone says, ah, forgiveness, it's a lovely idea. It's great, isn't it? Until they have something to forgive, as we had during the war. And then to mention the subject at all, is to be greeted with howls of anger. It is not that people think this too high and too difficult a virtue. It is that they think it hateful and contemptible. Forgiveness equals hate. Forgiveness is contemptible. Just as when Christianity tells me that I must not deny my religion even to save myself from death by torture, I wonder very much what I should do when it came to the point. I'm not trying to tell you in this book what I could do. I can do precious little. I am telling you what Christianity is. I did not invent it. And there, right in the middle of it, I find, forgive us, our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There is no slightest suggestion that we are offered forgiveness on any other terms. It is made perfectly clear that if we do not forgive, we shall not be forgiven. There are no two ways about it. What are we to do? This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother 
or your sister. Shall we come to the last reading that is also read on Yom Kippur, Isaiah 57. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in high and holy places. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. And continuing on, but the wicked are like tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. God lives on high, in a holy place. And God is angry with the iniquity of the unjust, those who should know, yet betray their God, iniquity. They betray their God, they betray what they should be doing. And God will do battle with the wicked. He will destroy them. So I'm going to read something. It's a very long week for me, as you will soon learn why. For the sin which we have committed before you under duress or willingly. For the sin which we have committed before you by hard-heartedness. For the sin we have committed before you inadvertently. And for the sin which we have committed before you with an utterance of the lips. For the sin which we have committed before you with immorality. Still can't see. And for the sin which we have committed before you openly or secretly. For the sin which we have committed before you with knowledge and with deceit, for the sin which we have committed before you through speech, for the sin which we have committed before you by deceiving a fellow man, for the sin which we have committed before you by improper thoughts, for the sin which we have committed before you by a gathering of lewdness, for the sin which we have committed before you by verbal or insincere confession. Our very confession does not work if we do not change how we live. For the sin which we have committed before you by disrespect of parents and teachers, for the sin which we have committed before you unintentionally or intentionally, for the sin which we have committed before you by using coercion, for the sin which we have committed before you by desecrating the divine name, for the sin which we have committed before you by impurity of speech, 
for the sin which we have committed before you by foolish talk, for the sin which we have committed before you with evil inclination, and for the sin which we have committed before you knowingly or unknowingly, for all these, God of pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. And it doesn't stop. For the sin which we have committed before you by false denial and lying, and for the sin which we have committed before you by bribe taking or by, by bribe giving. For the sin which we have committed before you by scoffing. For the sin which we have committed before you by evil talk, gossip one against another. For the sin which we have committed before you in business dealings. for the sin which we have committed before you by eating and drinking, for the sin which we have committed before you by taking or giving interest and by usury, for the sin which we have committed before you by a haughty demeanor, our pride, for the sin which we have committed before you by the prattle of our lips, and for the sin which we have committed before you by a glance of the eye, for the sin which we have committed before you with proud looks, and for the sin which we have committed before you with impudence. <clears throat> for all these, God of pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. And it continues. For the sin which we have committed before you by casting off the yoke of heaven. And for the sins which we have committed before you in passing judgment, for the sins which we have committed before you by scheming against a fellow man, and for the sin which we have committed before you by a begrudging eye, for the sin which we have committed before you by frivolity, and for the sin which we have committed before you by obduracy, for the sin which we have committed before you by running to do evil. For the sin which we have committed before you by tail-bearing. For the sin which we have committed before you by swearing in vain. For the sin which we have committed before you by a confused heart. And for these, God, a pardon, pardon us, forgive us, atone for us. And what do these result in? These are the sins we incur, the penalty of lashing and whipping. These are the sins that we incur, the penalty of childlessness. These are the sins which we incur, death by the hand of God or by man. For the wages of sin is death. It's a really good thing that Isaiah 57 doesn't stop with God only being in the high places and in the holy place. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and a holy place, but also 
with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lonely and to revive the heart of the contrite. Perhaps you recognize that from Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. God lives with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. And the one who is lowly in spirit, God will revive. And the heart of the contrite one, God will revive. God will heal them. He will. Peace. Peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And you look in the book of Jonah, and it took animals and plants to actually obey God. And yet, people repented. And after the Beatitudes, you have the Lord's Prayer, which is up here. It sounds very similar to Matthew chapter 18. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So I invite you come to God with a lowly and a contrite heart. Repent while there is still time. Forgive those around you. We can come before God, we can worship God, we can sing great songs and hymns and spiritual songs because God has forgiven us everything. And we look to our child and we say, why can't you even clean your room? And we look at the person driving in front of us. Why did you stop? Why are you going? Why are you going too fast? Why are you going too slow? What's wrong with you? And every day we walk around. And we find people that we must forgive. We also find people that we must come to and have forgive us. So come, come to the Lord with a lowly and contrite heart.
Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.